Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Spirit of Grace Church on Facebook and all of our online areas, YouTube and things of that nature. We're so glad that you're able to join us and uh, be a part of tonight. Tonight's going to be a little bit different. Uh, we're doing uh, a potpourri of things, I guess, is what we want to call it. And uh, <clears throat> what I've asked our members of our church to do is to send any questions in. And so I'm basically going to spend the evening answering questions. And I was very thankful um, that uh, a lot of, most of these questions that were asked really uh, do not pertain specifically to present circumstances and, <clears throat> and present uh, situations that we're in. And I'm thankful for that in this regard. And that is um, we're able just to talk about some other things that are on people's minds and their hearts and some questions, uh, quite frankly, that some people may have had for years that have never had an answer. And I'm going to do my best to answer them. Um, I won't get to all of them tonight, so probably next Wednesday night we'll have another question and answer uh, session, if you will. <clears throat> and looking forward to that. So uh, I appreciate that. If anybody does have questions that you would like us to to address, you can email them to us and or Facebook message them to us, whichever, and uh, we'll do our best to answer them. Uh, the questions were wide ranging, and uh, so there's really no rhyme or reason for the order that we're going in. Uh, I did uh, was able to combine a couple of the questions that were from different people, um, whether it be uh, about a certain topic. And so, for those of you that did send questions in. If you don't recognize an actual word-for-word -word question, I may have com combined it with um, somebody else. Uh, like, for instance, I'm going to combine two questions right off the bat, and I'm just going to read these questions. They're anonymous questions from people, but uh, if they did, if they had a question, that usually means that somebody else has similar questions and are looking for uh, answers as well either for themselves or some information that they can maybe share or a viewpoint that they can look into. Uh, I, I will tell you that these are not exhaustive answers. Um, I don't have time to do an exhaustive answer to all of these questions. Uh, some of these questions we could take, you know, hours and days and weeks and months to uh, dive into and dig out. But I want to share a few of them with you tonight and we'll see how far we get as time allows, and, and then we'll continue again next Wednesday as well. So the first question that uh, came up that I want to uh, answer or address or give my input on is simply this, and it's a combined one. Somebody asked, are we able to pray for spiritual gifts or are they predetermined by the spirit that's in us? And uh, con combining with that, I wanted to answer the question, uh, what if you know your giftings but you never felt God has placed a call on your life, uh, how do you find it and, and walk in it and follow that? And so uh, I want to start with, with that. First of all, uh, when it comes to gifting, yes, the Bible admonishes us to seek the gifts of the Lord. Um, if God wants to give us something, he wants us to seek after it. And uh, in, the, in the response to this question, though, I want to make a little bit of a differentiation um, because there's different kinds of giftings, if you will. There are some giftings that are of a 
well, I call them spiritual gifts, but they're gifts of the Spirit for a momentary period of time. And then there are spiritual motivational gifts, which are gifts that uh, combine with personality, combine with uh, uh, background, et cetera, et cetera. And so um, we have to be able to seek them. 1 Corinthians 12.31 says that we need to seek the gifts, and uh, but quite frankly, it's better and more powerful if you will seek him. Matthew 6.33, I believe, trumps 1 Corinthians 12.31, and that is, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And if you do that, if you'll seek him, uh, I guess what I'm saying is sometimes we get so consumed with seeking his gifts and the abilities that he has for us that we forget about seeking him. And if we'll take the time to seek him and talk to him and get to know him, those kinds of things will eventually um, fall into place. Because here's what I believe, and, and you know, there's all kinds of different teachings out there. But for me, I look at the Old Testament and I realize that if God can use a donkey, he can use anybody. If he can speak through Balaam's donkey, he can speak through anybody in that moment of time that he doesn't need somebody that is uh, talented. He doesn't need somebody that has ability. He just needs somebody that's willing in that moment of time to act upon what his spirit is admonishing and directing and pushing you towards. And if you're willing to respond and answer in kind or respond to the, uh, the unction of the spirit or the prompting of the spirit, that if you'll be willing to flow in that, uh, the giftings will, will show up and will operate in you. Having said that, the prayer when it comes to seeking the gifts really is more a prayer that we should have that we would su uh, surrender ourselves in that moment of time. Lord, help me to hear when you're trying to use me and not only hear, but be willing then to respond and be used. And if we can do that, then the spiritual gifts will come in and, uh, and operate. Now, there is a difference between spiritual gifts um, within Scripture. And if you read 1 Corinthians 12, 1 to 11, you'll see what is typically classified as the spiritual gifts, the nine spiritual gifts that are listed there. But there's also spiritual gifts that I call motivational gifts, and, and I'm not sure where I learned that uh, concept or that uh, phrasing, but motivational gifts such as the apostle, the prophet, the pastor, the teacher, the administrator, the giver, the helper, and all kinds of uh, giftings of that nature. A Somebody that has the gift of administration, that is more of an innate gift that God uses, your talents and the natural abilities that are in you to be used in a certain area. And, and so when you say, do we seek the gifts? If you have no way of being an organized person, the chance that God's going to use you in the gift of administration is probably minimal. And so instead of praying about that, um, but the Bible says, seek the best gifts, seek the gifts of God. And, and so I hope you understand what I mean. There is a difference there. There are those gifts of God where he uses us as instruments and tools. And then there are spiritual gifts that rise in us from our abilities and our natural inclinations. And if you're a storyteller, for instance, uh, that is a gift to be able to communicate, to admit or the, the gift of exhortation, if you will. Some of that becomes natural. Now, it doesn't mean that God can't place you in, a, in an area that you're not comfortable with, but he will do that in such a way 
to where you understand that it's God leading and guiding you. And that kind of ties back to the second part of the question tonight. And that is, if you know what your giftings are, I'm, I'm assuming that this question is they understand, um, and you don't know who asked it, but I do, but um, uh, understanding that there is a certain abilities there, uh, whether it be bookkeeping, whether it be giving, whether it be helping, whether it be cooking, whether it be whatever, there's that gifting there, but they've never felt, and they've recognized what those gifts are, but they've never felt a specific call to a certain space, if you will, or position. Now, I believe very strongly in the call of God. And uh, at the same time, I don't want people to feel either condemned or less or struggle because they don't feel a specific call. And sometimes I think we in the ministry, we say things in such glowing terms. And when people don't have that reality in their life, they struggle with that. And I never want people to struggle because of uh, the word of God. I want them to be challenged to move in a direction and embrace the struggles of growth and embrace the struggles of transformation and embrace the struggles of formation of the things that God has planted in you. So I want to give you, uh, there's seven main points that I want to just point at um, for the calling of God, for the calling of God and how you can identify the calling. Now, if you're married, this calling is a little bit different. Uh, if you're married, it doesn't mean that you don't that you stop being used as an individual. But when you are making big decisions, God's going to have to speak to both of you in that regard. And, and the example that I can think of, had I sat down with my wife in 2008 and just said, "Hey, honey, God called us to Minnesota. We're leaving," uh, that may not have gone over very well. Uh, but sitting down and talking to her and saying, you know. What's God speaking to us as a couple? Where is God leading us and guiding us? How are we operating together? So there is a call on a corporate level of a couple or a family. Um, and uh, now my boys weren't young enough really to to understand what was going on when we moved. But if uh, if God had us do something big as a family right now, the boys would be involved in the conversation because it's not just me, it's not just Trish, it's not just one of the boys, it's all four of us. So here are the seven things. First of all, I believe that when you are called of God, you will, God will get your attention in a significant way. I can really only speak specifically to myself. Uh, when I was 11 years old, I uh, was in a camp meeting service, and uh, at that moment, while I was on my face before God, I could sense beyond the shadow of a doubt that God was calling me into the preaching, pastoring ministry. And uh, it was very strong. Not everybody has that. Um, not everybody understands that. A friend of mine went to college, got his engineering degree, and it wasn't until long after that that he um, decided to go a different direction and become a pastor. So it's, it's different for everybody. But he will, he, will get your, he will get your attention in a significant way. The second thing is God doesn't call once and then go silent. He'll speak to you over and over again about what he's wanting you to be and what he's wanting you to do. And uh, he doesn't, in other words, don't think that you're going to miss it when he's trying to call you. Uh, he called Samuel several times, and he would have kept calling Samuel had Samuel kept 
walking into Eli's room. Finally, Eli was wise enough to say, you know, this is how you need to respond. Here am I, Lord. And uh, so the calling of God can come at any moment. He'll repeat himself often. The third thing is, is whenever God calls, he's always going to assure you of his presence. He's always going to assure you of his presence. He's not going, he, he's, he doesn't want to put you out on an island by yourself without you understanding that he's going to be there. Now, there's times where you feel like you're on an island, but uh, at the same time, God will reassure you that he's with you. There'll be something that is said, something that's done, somebody that drops a card in the mail at the right time, a phone call, a text, a Facebook post, something gets done where it reaffirms just specifically for you that God knows exactly where you're at. That's happened over and over uh, in our time in pastoring. It happened over and over when we were in Kansas City and in Dover, where God uh, made sure that he assured us that his presence would be there. Um, the fourth thing is God will always give you the first step. He won't give you the whole staircase, but he'll give you the first step. Um, the first step for us to come to uh, Coon Rapids was we need to make the decision of where to live. And our first step and our first answer in a temporary fashion was being able to move in with my parents in their basement so that, that we could come and find a job and find a place to live and get established here, um, because of the, especially because of the time frame that we moved here in. But he gave us the first step. The, if we didn't have that first step, we didn't know where we were going to go from there, how things were all going to play out, but that first step was, was there for us to take. Don't be afraid of taking that first step. Um, don't be afraid of moving out of your comfort zone. Uh, and don't expect God to give you 15 steps because if he gives you 15 steps, I'll tell you what will happen is that you will be paralyzed with fear from moving from that first step because usually what happens is uh, what God is really wanting out of your life will freak you out because it's so much bigger than you can imagine. And it's so much bigger than you can understand. And so <clears throat> don't be afraid just to take that first step and see where God leads you. Um, he'll provide for what you need. He'll I don't have all the answers. I didn't have all the answers. I still don't have all the answers. <clears throat> but every time we have faced something in our ministry, in our lives, where we didn't understand it, where we didn't have the resource, God always stepped in and provided as long as we continued to listen to him. The times that we've gotten ourselves... Uh, not in trouble, but caused a little bit of headache and heartache was usually when we tried to do something on our own without receiving and waiting for the provision of God to provide for that need. Um, then also for a calling, God will always bring somebody else along to help you. Um, I can't imagine, well, I can, uh, but there's people in the last, we've been in, in Coon Rapids now since 2008, Christmas of 2008, so a little over 11 years. And uh, there, it's been amazing how God has allowed certain people to come into our lives at a specific moment in time to help. They, some of them stayed longer than others. Some of them, and I'm not even talking about people coming to our church, but just coming into our lives, speaking to our lives for a season, and then they've moved on to something else. And, and, and do I... Am I upset about that? No, it's because God used people for a specific time to help us to get to where we are, and he'll do it again. He'll, he'll send just the right people along at the right time. Uh, one example is, uh, 
and this is mostly for our church people, is my connection with Destiny Ministries. He sent Dr. Brassfield to us at the very right time for my wife and I and the Destiny family at the right time for my wife and I in order to continue to accomplish what God is asking us to do. I, had it been five years earlier, I don't know if we would have been ready to uh, go that direction. If it would have been five years from now, I think we would have missed it. It was just the right timing of God. He'll always bring somebody along at the right time to affirm and to help get you to another season in your life. And then lastly, God will always reassure you about, but not necessarily remove, your inadequacies. Uh, you think about everybody in the Bible. Moses had a stuttering problem. Uh, Gideon had a fear problem. Uh, Paul had a thorn in his side. Uh, each one of them had something that that caused them to question their ability to do what God wanted them to do. And uh, he re reassured each one of them. But if you if you read the scripture close enough, Moses never lost his stuttering problem. Paul never lost his thorn. Gideon never really became a dominant person. He just became what God intended him to become. And so don't ever underestimate that God has your inadequacies in mind. And if he's called you to something, then you will you can rest assured that he's going to give you the abilities to fulfill it. Now, I said all of that to say to, to not part of the question was that this person never has felt the call of God. And uh, I think it's because you haven't recognized that specific call. There is a calling in scripture that is often overlooked that we are all called to. And it's mentioned in Romans chapter one. It's mentioned in first Corinthians chapter one. Paul mentions it on both of these occasions uh, when he's addressing the book of Romans he addresses to those that are part of the church in Rome, called to be saints. And then in Corinthian church, he, he, he sends the letter to them and he, he calls them to, called to be saints. We're all called to be saints. And so when you understand your giftings, which the question made, the, the asker of the question said, they understood what their gifts were, but they just did not felt a specific call. Your call could just be to be a saint. Now, that sounds, because of the history of the church world, where you've got a saint and the clergy, and there's been a division between the clergy and the saint. That is not of God. There shouldn't be that separation or that division between the clergy and the saint. We're all called to be saints. And what a saint is is simply one that is called to be devoted to God, uh, really getting down to, to, to the the foundation of what a saint is, it is somebody that is characteristically Christ-like. And so when you're called to be saint, a saint, which we all are, it doesn't matter where your outside callings come. If you're called to be devoted to God, that means God is wanting you to use your gifts where you're at. And uh, some, some preachers say it this way, grow where you're planted. It could be that God has specific opportunities within the body of Christ that you're a part of, where in our church there, there may be an opportunity to be used. Don't ever negate the fact that you're called to be a saint. Wherever you're at, the gifts of God are needed to be used. We need to have those gifts in operation. We need to have those gifts moving in our church, in our body of believers locally, regionally, and ultimately around the world. Um, 
for just and, and there's no gifting that's too big or no gifting that's too small in the concept of of giving what God has put in us. Um, it's the it's the ripple effect. It's the butterfly effect that we've learned about in the past. Um, little things that you do make a difference that reverberate around the world. Not everybody has an international voice. Um, not everybody has an international following, but the little things that they do create a ripple effect that then touch and minister to others. So don't, don't be discouraged. Everybody has a call, a call to be saints. There are others that are called to be doctors, lawyers, whatever. You can be called to be anything that God wants you to be, but don't assume that because you haven't had that official quote-unquote calling of God that God's not wanting to use the gifts that he's placed in you. He's wanting you to release those gifts in the place that you're at. And when you do that, you fulfill the calling to be a saint or a separated one, a devoted one, Christ-like. And when you have saints in churches, churches become powerful. The church can't function without the power of a saint. Uh, we can't be what God wants us to be without being the power of without the power of saints. And so I want to encourage you tonight, seek after the gifts, recognize the gifts that are already in you, use them to the best of your ability. And who knows, God may give you a specific call to a specific thing, but if he doesn't, he is calling you no matter what to be his saint, to be his separated one, to be his expression of love to a world that is hurting, and he's wanting to use your gifts to do that. So I hope that answers some of that question. I want to go on to the, to the next question here, and uh, this is another one that is kind of connected between two questions that we've got. Um, the one question was simply this, if we are looking for miracle signs and wonders, shouldn't we have more prayer and fasting together? And tying that together with another question is, what if there is somebody that claims to be a believer but doesn't believe in miracles? How do you, how do you address that or how do you speak to that? <clears throat> the concept of miracles, signs, and wonders is one that is very prominent within the church world because we like the wow moments. Uh, we have so negated what God has done for us minute by minute, second by second, that we have negated what he's really doing in us. And we've been waiting for this, just the boom, if you will, or the, or, or, or the, what we classify as a miracle. And I believe in miracles. I believe in uh, signs and wonders. I believe that they can happen, but I don't worry about them. And the reason why I don't worry about them is there we could have more, and, and I pray to have more, but there's some things that have to happen in order for us to have more. And we have to understand, first of all, what miracles are designed for. Why does God have miracles? Now, in our thinking, a miracle is a supernatural event that transforms or changes the natural uh, atmosphere around us, whether it be a healing, a delivering, uh, whatever it be. But miracles are really not the supernatural coming into the natural to change the natural what a miracle is, 
is simply the restoration of the heavenly kingdom. A miracle is a picture of that which is going to be in heaven one day. When somebody is healed of a sickness, we call it a miracle. What Jesus is calling it is just a glimpse into what we're going to experience when we get to heaven. My father died of pancreatic cancer, and the minute he took his last breath, he was healed. And the minute that Gary and Lil, our founding pastors, passed from their cancer, the minute they took that last breath, they were healed. They were in the full kingdom mode at that point in time. When we have a miracle here, it is to give us just a glimpse of what's going to happen when we get to heaven. Um, it is meant to restore the material world to what is actually natural, which is what God designed it to be. But because of the fall of man, of Adam and Eve, and all, ultimately all of us fall short, we are looking for miracle signs and wonders. But if you read Acts chapter uh, 2, you'll see that there are, there are four things that do release the miraculous of God or the signs and wonders of God. If you read those, uh, uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 45 or so. And that, I can sum it up into four things. It's, it's preaching or the apostles' doctrine, preaching, teaching, fellowship, food, and prayer. And that food can either be the Lord's Supper or it can just be food together. Uh, breaking bread from house to house is the way that King James Version calls it. And uh, when those four things are operating and functioning, uh, miracles and signs and wonders will follow that. Now, here's the reason, though, that I believe it follows that. Miracle signs and wonders, we want that to be an affirmation to us that God is doing something. But miracle signs and wonders were designed to express the power and glory of God so as to reveal him to people. So when the early church in Acts chapter 2 began to do those four things, what they were really doing, the Bible says fear came on all of those, and many signs and wonders were done by the apostles. That was an expression to those that were not believers to come to a believing of who Jesus is. Now, if we had more unbelievers in our midst, we would have more miracles happen. If we as a church we're doing the four things, praying, preaching, teaching, having fellowship, having food, and we do a pretty good job of all four of those. But if there are not as any unbelievers there, we're not going to... In other words, miracles are not for church people. Church people are already trusting and believing in the Lord because of a relationship they already have with him. Those that are unbelievers don't know who he is, and so he uses the miraculous to reveal himself to them. And uh, it, it, it's to confirm a revelation in Mark chapter 16, verse 20, and in Hebrews 2 and John 20, all of those are miracles that are used to confirm the revelation of Jesus to people around us uh, or around them at the time. And so you have to understand that um, what the miracles and signs are, are, are for. Now, the question, the first part of that question was, shouldn't we be having more prayer and fasting? <clears throat> uh, yes, we can but not for miracles. Um, prayer and fasting is to draw us closer to ourselves, to our Savior, and lowering or surrendering of ourselves to our own agendas and egos. 
Prayer and fasting is designed to lower me and raise him. And when I'm lowered and he is raised, he has the opportunity and the power to begin to do things to those that are around us so that miracles can begin to take place. Um, there are some people that use a certain passage, and I want to say it's in Matthew. I thought I had it written down, but it, I misplaced it somewhere. Um, I've got a bunch of scriptures written down for other questions. But I want to say it's Mark chapter 12, but it's the passage where uh, Jesus says uh, in the casting out of the demon, the disciples asked him, you know, how, how come we couldn't cast him out? And he said, because of unbelief, for this kind cometh forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. And so there's been a lot of teaching and preaching that miraculous things only happen through prayer and fasting. But that's not really, if you read that passage, it's not really what it's talking about. Jesus answered the disciples when he said, why couldn't we cast him out? He said, you didn't believe. Your unbelief, that's why he couldn't. And what he was saying when he said, this kind cometh forth, not by, by, by prayer and fasting, was the power or the anointing of the word of God. When you begin to get so close to God that you're speaking the words of God, nothing can stop the words of God. Have the faith of God. When you have his faith, you can say to the mountain, be thou removed, and it'll be cast into the sea. Now, I know of some preachers out there that say that gives us the authority to walk out and cast out mountains and, and speak to things and, and all of that. Well, only if God's telling us to do it. Only if God is directing. In other words, we are not the originator of miracles. We are the conduit of miracles. We are the instruments of miracles. There are those of us that have been used in the miracle ministry where they've laid hands on people and they've been healed and they've been touched and they've been ministered to. And I believe in all of that and that's powerful and I want to see more of it. But I believe that we're going to see more of it the closer we get to Christ because when we get closer to Christ, we become closer instruments and tools and conduits of his miraculous. And then when we have more unbelievers around us, he will use us to reveal. And the second aspect of that is we need to learn how to recognize miracles. We don't recognize miracles enough. We don't recognize the fact that we're sitting here tonight is a miracle. The fact that we are breathing right now is a miracle. There is nothing guaranteed in this world. There's nothing guaranteed in this life. We are all walking miracles. And I know that that sometimes sounds generic, but the reason why it sounds generic is because we have totally forgotten the power of Almighty God. He breathed into Adam and Adam became a living soul. Do you understand that you are really just a pile of mud? that God has formed and allowed the breath of God to move into us. And uh, we, 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 we take our blood flow is a miracle. The amount of veins and arteries that are in our body that make our body function is a miracle. The fact that we can feel things is a miracle. The fact that our nerve endings go to all points of our body and we can feel and sense and do things, that's a miracle. The fact that we can talk and speak and listen and hear and smell and see are miracles. You see, the miraculous, it, it, it's, it, what's happened is we have gotten to the place where we have not recognized the miraculous of God. And, and in the book of Romans, the first chapter, God says, if you'll just look around, you'll see all the miracles that I've already done. And so that you're not with, you, you don't have an excuse to say that there's no God. Let me put that in King James Version. If you just look at all of creation, there's no excuse for not believing in God. 
all of this is miraculous. Everything we deal with is miraculous. And uh, so for us to pray for, for more miracle signs and wonders, I know what that question is about. We do want to see blind eyes open. We do want to see lame legs healed. We do want to see marriages put back together. We do want to see families restored. We want to see all of that. But we will see that when we draw closer to him and we're not so concerned about the miracles as we are about the miracle maker. And uh, I, if I can boil that down, that's just in about almost every topic that we talk about. If you'd boil it all down to one thing, we spend so much time on the things instead of on him. And if we could ever just get our eyes off of all of the things and get it solely on him, we'll begin to recognize all that he's already doing, all of the things that he's already ministering to. You see, Jesus said it this way. He said, you're looking for a sign to believe. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet still believe. So sometimes I think we're so excited and we're so looking forward to miracles that we miss what God is already doing among us. And if you look back over your life, you can see all kinds of miracles. Uh, if you've had any kind of life, it doesn't matter whether it's good, bad, or ugly, there's miracles to be found. And uh, so should we pray and fast more? Yeah, we, we need to. We need to pray and fast. That's one reason why uh, the spring kind of changed for us here at the church. But for most years, we usually take two months and call a church fast. We fast creatively usually. Uh, it's not a it's not a hard fast uh, for a month, but we do uh, each week. We usually do something. We usually take two months out of the year to do that. Usually the month of November, and then we usually pick a a month in spring. And we didn't do that this year. Well, maybe maybe we'll take July and call a, a a July fast for the church. We do need to have more prayer and fasting. We do need to have more prayer. If we're not praying then we're not doing what God is wanting us to do because prayer is communication with him. And that's the whole reason that he came. The Bible says he came to seek and to save that which was lost. What was lost? Communication, relationship. That's what was lost when Adam and Eve sinned. And he's been searching for it ever since. He wants to have a divine relationship with each one of us. And that can only happen through communication and communication is prayer. And so I want to challenge you not to get tied up with the miracles even though we want them, I pray for them. Lord, send the miracles. Uh, we want to see them. But if we have more unbelievers in our services, we'll have more miracles. If we have more unbelievers around us in life, uh, we'll have more miracles. If you notice in Scripture, just take a glance through Scripture, when miracles took place was not when it was expected to take place. For instance, Acts chapter 3, J Peter and James, uh, Peter and John were going into the temple at the hour. Of prayer. They were just going to prayer, but there was a need there, and they responded to the need. That's how miracles take place. When they walked down the street, the shadow of Peter passing by, all kinds of miracles. Well, was that because he purposed that a miracle was going to happen? No, he just was doing what God wanted him to do, and God used that moment. If we would just know God well enough to operate with what he wants us to do, then we would allow that to, to, to happen. Praise God. Well, I want to go through a couple more, and, and uh, halfway through this potpourri of of answers. Uh, if there is further questions that you have in days to come, feel free to send them. 
if I didn't answer something clear enough or I didn't help you and you're still confused by it, I don't want that to be the case. Um, but I do want to cover as many questions as I can. And like I said at the beginning, uh, some of these we could go into depth for days and weeks and not totally uh, cover. Uh, in fact, one of them I'm already waiting until next week. I set the notes aside because it'll take me a little bit longer to answer. Um, I had a question come in, and uh, I want to go through this a little bit tonight um, here. And that is, um, the question was just talk a little bit about the spiritual covering of the pastor and the protection that it may bring um, and what that really means. Uh, when it comes to a spiritual covering. There is a movement out there, and uh, I may be different than some, um, but I want to read a couple passages of Scripture here uh, as far as my interpretation of a covering. I believe in spiritual coverings. I believe in spiritual accountability. I believe that all of us have to have somebody that God has allowed us to bring into our lives. And I've got people like that in my, in my life, in my ministry, that uh, I believe has been a protection to me, um, has been a, a support to me uh, throughout my years. And, and those people have changed through the years as well. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12 and 13 says, Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work and live peacefully with each other. Um, just as an aside, uh, this was somebody's question. I didn't choose to, to talk about this, but even though it's going to come kind of about who I am and what I believe my role is, uh, but there is something to be said about having leadership in the Lord's work and working hard to give us spiritual guidance. And I'm thankful for those that have been in my life uh, that have given me that as well. Um, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 um, is another passage of Scripture that I want to look at here for just a moment. 1 Peter 5, verse 5 says, in the same way, you younger men must accept the authority of the elders, and all of you serve each other in humility, for God opposes the proud but favors the humble. Um, you know, we like to quote verse 6, 7, and 8, where it says, humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Um, but the previous scripture lets us know that there is a spiritual structure in place for us. And uh, my wife and I don't take that lightly. There's a couple more scriptures that I do want to look at here, staying in First Peter, going back just a couple of verses. Um, verse 1, 1 through 4 of that same chapter. A word to you who are elders in the church, I too am an elder and a witness uh, to the sufferings of Christ. Which, by the way, elder doesn't mean older. It can be, but elder means a place. Uh, there's some elders that are older, but there's uh, an elder is simply somebody that has uh, experience that God has called to a place of spiritual leadership and anointing. Uh, I will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you, care for the flock 
that God has entrusted to you, watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. And uh, so that's another passage of scripture. Let me give you a couple more scriptures, and then I'll give you some thoughts. First uh, Timothy 5, verse 17 is another passage of scripture. It says, Elders who do their work well should be respected and paid well, especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. Uh, for the scripture says, you must not muzzle the ox to keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. And in another place, those who work deserve their pay. Um, and then probably the most popular ones for spiritual authority are found in Hebrews chapter 13. There's two verses there. Hebrews chapter 13 Verse number seven says, remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow the example of their faith. And then over in verse 17, obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. So let me just tell you that part of the problem in society today is the understanding of what spiritual authority is or covering or oversight is. And a lot of the problem, if you will, has been it's been an abuse situation. There's nowhere in those scriptures that gives a pastor or a leader the right to uh, dictate where and when somebody takes vacation, which I've heard of before of what and when you can, you know, where, go, do, you know, your life. That, that's, not, that's not the kind of covering that God is talking about. I believe that this is a twofold concept. One, the pastor receives his authority as he follows Christ. The minute that he steps out from following Christ, he removes himself from the flow of authority. For all authority comes from the Lord. It doesn't come from man. It doesn't come from the fact that there's a title after somebody's name. Um, Paul said it this way, follow me as I follow Christ. And that's the words that I want to echo in our church and the people that I have influenced. Follow me as I follow Christ. If I leave Christ, if I leave the word of God, please don't follow me. I've messed up. But as I follow Christ, uh, follow me. And, and when I do that, we're all going to get in the same place. And if you are following me as I follow Christ. There is a spiritual protection, and I'll explain that here in just a minute. Um, authority comes from uh, God's word. Uh, that's where the authority comes from. It doesn't come from my own thoughts, my own abilities, my own understanding. It's the reason why when I preach, I've always said, don't take my word for it. Search it out yourself. Read the word of God. And... Uh, I'm not so naive as to think that I know everything, that my, that God can't change my mind, um, that that I can't be questioned, that et cetera, et cetera. Uh, here's what I believe Hebrews 13, 17 is really all about, and that's the biggest one um, because that gets on the most people's nerves. And when it, the Bible says, obey, <clears throat> obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Okay, there are spiritual leaders that have abused that. 
and have taken the mindset that they have the approval of God to dictate to a saint what they should do, how they should do it, what they should do. Okay, I don't believe that that's what that passage is saying. What I believe that passage is saying is, instead of the word obey, use the word follow. In other words, the concept of a parent saying, do as I say, not as I do, is not the concept of obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Okay? <clears throat> to obey a spiritual leader, first of all, you need to find a spiritual leader that is willing to go through things before you go through them. And then you can follow them as they, as they follow Christ through the path that is, is, is there. Um, for instance, I lean on some of my pastor friends that have been through things that we've never been through. And when we sit down, they begin to speak into our lives. And it gives us comfort to know that they've already been there They've already done that. They've already dealt with that. And if I'm just smart enough to listen and, and obey what they're saying, I'm going to make it further than what I would have had I done it on my own. Uh, I hope that, that makes sense to you and the fact that, that it's not this, I'm going to tell you what to do, do it. It's, it's, this verse comes from the sense that I've already been there and done it. In other words, I can't preach to you and teach to you as a leader of this church I can't expect the church to do things that I haven't done yet. My wife and I, as a couple, as leaders and pastors of the church, we can't expect uh, you to go into areas that we've not walked into yet, that we've not experienced yet, because we need to be the tip of the spear when it comes to spiritual matters. Not that we have all the answers, not that we have to do everything. There's some preachers that think that this gives them the right to micromanage everything about their people. It doesn't. It's, it, that it's not the case at all. But here's where your spiritual covering or your protection comes from. <clears throat> if, if, you can picture with, if, if you can picture with me a, an arrow where you've got, you've got the point of the, the spearhead or the arrowhead, and then you've got the, the body of the arrow coming below Everything that hits that the, the point of that arrow falls to the side, and it's not all hitting. Uh, the concept of aerodynamics, I guess, is, is the word. And, and we've got uh, somebody online tonight that may correct my vernacular on that. But the concept of, in my head, aerodynamics, when something hits in the, in the front and it just kind of dissipates, the thing that are right behind that doesn't get that in the same level as the, the tip of the, the arrowhead, if you will. Uh, I liken it to a, a car. You can drive a car. The front of the car is going to take the brunt of the resistance of the wind and the air around you, and then it's going to go around the car to where the in the back of the car is not going to get the same amount of tension and the same amount of uh, pressure as it does in the front. And so uh, that's what spiritual protection does, is it's the, the leader of that group is taking the brunt of that. It doesn't mean it eliminates it from anybody that's following. It just means that you're going to uh, feel it and experience it. And everywhere that I have been uh, in my ministry, um, my leader has always been the, the first through the line, if you will. And we, we sense the, the stuff that comes after it hits them. Um, and so you have to understand, and I have to understand, that as long as we are working together, 
just know that what you're experiencing, if you're following my wife and I, what you're experiencing, we've, we've dealt with in some way, shape, or form. We don't have all the answers to it. We haven't experienced it exactly in the same way that you may have. But because of what God has put in us um, and, and the position that he's put us in, uh, there is some things that we have dealt with that allows us. And so when it goes on to say um, their, their work is to watch for your souls that, and, and they are accountable to God, that doesn't mean that I'm going to stand before God and say, this person did this, 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 and this. What that means is, uh, I be, at least I believe that I read it as God's going to say, okay, what did you do with the resources that I put into your path? How did you lead them? Uh, Jesus is the head of the church. I have to follow the head of the church. And the head of the church is what protects me because I know that he's already been through it all. He's, been, he's, he's felt all the infirmities. He, he's felt all the temptations. He's felt all the struggle. He's, he's already taken the brunt of it. And so as I follow Christ and you follow me, there is a protection there. If you can picture kind of umbrellas, if you will, there's a protection of Christ, the protection of the ministry that's over you, then there's a protection of our leaders. And, and we do it all not because we want to dictate not be and i i believe that you know my spirit that that we don't come across or we i hope we don't come across as dictators because that's not the point we want everybody to find their place in the kingdom of heaven um and yet i pray for you all the time your your names come before me all the time and give them to reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow that's not that's not us sitting there taking a checklist oh this week john doe did this and i have I mean, this week he did great, and this week he's not doing so good, and this week I've had to deal with this, and this that that's not what that's talking about. What that's talking about, I believe, is that it becomes a joy watching people grow. Part of what we get the most excitement out of is watching people as God begins to use them. Uh, just as an example, what has been such an encouragement and a blessing to us over the last several years is watching all of our adult Sunday school teachers grow in their teaching ability and how God has, speak, has been speaking through them and to them and how God's used them. And, um, and the reason why it wouldn't be for your benefit was um, if, if I'm not going through it for at the beginning and at the front of the line, um, then we're not, we're not, you're getting the full brunt of it, and it doesn't benefit you if you're not. Um, there is, the Bible says this, don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think. That doesn't just mean people. That means preachers, that means leaders, that means pastors. I would be foolish to think that I'm the wisest person in the church and that I have it all together and nobody can answer questions or ask questions or look at scripture and understand. That's the furthest thing. All I know that I can do as your leader is to do my very best to stay in the word of God, to listen to the word of God, to follow the word of God, and to present to you in such a way that you want to go down the path that God is choosing to lead us as a church. And if I do that, then when I get to that place of giving accountability to God, God's going to say, okay, not how did they do and what did you do with them, but the accountability is, okay, Tim, how did you make your decisions and follow me in order to let them follow along with us? And uh, so 
the spiritual covering and the authority, it's there, but it's not the way it has been taught. There is no dictators for Christ. Well, there are, but they shouldn't be. <laughs> Let me put it to you that way. There are those that, that try to push their own agendas. Uh, to me, that's not a godly thing. To me, the godly thing is to prefer your brother above yourselves. And at the same time, when I'm doing it and making decisions based on the good of the group of people that God has been uh, so honored us to lead, when we do that, God blesses that. And it protects those that are in our uh, midst, in our church, um, from facing some things that they may not have to face. They may, have, they, they may be spared because others have done it. And it's not just my wife and I. We're just, as the leaders of the church, we're the spearhead. But we've got leaders, uh, both positional leaders and just spiritual leaders in our church that um, in different aspects uh, deal with things that help us. And as we follow one another, uh, it's phenomenal. And and I would be remiss to start naming names because I'd forget somebody. And uh, But we've got them all across our church, leaders that know how to pray, leaders that know how to face things in the spirit, leaders that know how to uh, come alongside somebody and aid them and protect them and, and pray for them. And if we would all just do that together, we would find that the power of God would be incredibly powerful uh, in, in in and around us to where we, we couldn't hardly hold it. And uh, and that leads me to just the last, because this one will be kind of a quick answer, and then we'll be done for tonight. Um, and then, like I said, we'll have to get to these other ones next Wednesday. But somebody asked, what does it mean to press on? Um, or when the Apostle Paul says, I press toward the prize of the high calling. <clears throat> Part of spiritual leadership goes with that pressing. Um, the word press on simply means to run swiftly or violently toward a goal. Swiftly or violently toward a goal. What is, what is our goal? Our goal is to be spirit-filled, spirit-led, and Christ-like. That's a big, broad terminology. But we need to continue to press into that every day praying for the infilling of the Holy Ghost, the leading of the Holy Ghost, the development of Christ-like character within us, and the spiritual authority. That's why you hear when we teach and preach and when we choose songs and some of the decisions, all of those are bathed in the understanding that as a church, we need to continually press, continually press, continually move, continually pursue. Uh, it's not a static position. Uh, I don't want to get stuck in the past, and I don't want to get stuck in the present. I want to do what Paul said, and that is press towards the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I want to continue to push, and if I do that on a personal level, and my wife does that on a personal level, and we do that, we will create an atmosphere as leaders where those that are willing to come under our spiritual covering, if you will, or our spiritual leadership, together we will push through the walls that would hinder us or the obstacles that may come against us to step into dimensions that only God has prepared for us and as only God can do for us. And uh, uh, that, that pressing means constantly moving forward. We can't, we can't even really take a pause. You know, sometimes we say, well, let's just take a break and, and, and just rest for a second. Well, 
that's fine as long as it's quick because we need to continue to press and continue to look and continue to search. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, but we're not. Uh, God stays, he's the author and the finisher of our faith, but we're not. And so we've got to continually pursue and chase after the like I said, the word press in the Greek is to violently uh, run toward a goal. Uh, that doesn't mean we're violent. That means that our mentality is nothing's going to stop us from achieving what God is calling us to. And uh, I believe that God has great things in store for us as individuals, us as a church, us as a global church. I believe coming through this pandemic and all of the things that we've dealt with is going to only strengthen the church. It's only going to unite the church. And I believe a united church, a united spirit of grace church, is a powder keg waiting to explode in the spirit realm. And I believe that God is, is trying to call us and get our attention. And, and so in, in all of these questions that we talked about tonight, whether it be the calling and the ministry of our spiritual gifts, whether it be miracle signs and wonders, I want all of those to happen, but I also want us to continue to press, continue to push. I want to personally continue to push. And I, I challenge you again, like the Apostle Paul did, follow me as I follow Christ. And, and, and if, if you ever feel like I'm not doing that, uh, I invite you to call, talk to us. And uh, I'll explain where I believe God is leading us and guiding us. And uh, I'm not afraid to change course or to change my mind if God so leads. Uh, but we are listening to the best of our ability. We are reading. We are praying. We are searching. Uh, our heart goes out to God for you. Uh, we love each and every one of you. All of those that even are joining online, uh, our heart goes out to you. We want you to be successful in God. And so let's press. Let's push. Let's pursue. Let's take this time and this season to lay aside the things that just kind of slow us down and, and cause mud to be around us. And let's push into the things that God has for us because in all of those things we'll be blessed and uh, God will be receive all of the glory in, in us accomplishing those things. Praise God. Praise God. I, I'm sorry if I didn't get to more questions. Uh, we'll definitely do some more questions uh, next week because we had some such good questions. And uh, we want to uh, answer all of these to the best of our abilities um, in going forth. If you can, if you have any other questions, or if I didn't answer something clearly enough tonight, um, or if you want further information on it, please don't hesitate to email or send it to me, and uh, we'll make sure to, to get those uh, together. In closing, I do want you to know this, that God has called you to be saints, God has called each and every one of us to follow his footsteps, to come apart from the, from the crowd and step into the glorious circle of his majesty and allow us to be used of him, be conduits of his ministry, his revelation, his spirit, and allow us to move forward in the things of God. So we want to challenge you to do that tonight. We love you. Let's pray together as we close this uh, time of question and answers out. In Jesus' name, Lord, I thank you for everyone who's joined us tonight. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us over the next coming days. I pray, Lord, that the answers that I gave to these questions, Lord, would at least send somebody down the right path of, uh, 
of revelation and understanding. Lord, if there be any confusion, I pray, God, that you would bring clarity to it. Let your spirit bathe all of the things that were said tonight in your anointing and in your grace. Lord, we'll be careful to give you praise and glory and honor. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen, amen. Praise God. God bless you. Uh, thanks for joining us on Facebook tonight. Uh, we'll see you Sunday uh, and uh, looking forward to a great time in the presence of God.